Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Enrique Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome into Budweiser's weekday sports beat here on WSBT Radio. My name is Darren Pritchett. The Big Ten is growing by the second. It looks like Oregon and Washington, the two newest members of the Big Ten or the Big 18. Not a done deal as of yet, but it sounds like in the next hour or two, everything will be finalized. So, when we get to the 2024 football season, the Big Ten will have 18 teams. Four of those in the Pacific time zone. Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA. I saw a stat. I think Darren Ravel posted this earlier this afternoon that Oregon traveling across the country to play a conference game against Rutgers will take 30 minutes less than Boston College flying to London to play a football game. That offers some perspective. Not sure this is great for college sports, but here we are. The television networks are running this. They are trying to grab the teams that they won in their conference after spending all that money to join up for, at least in this case, the Big Ten Conference. So it looks like in 2024, when you turn on your television, ready to watch college football, you're going to be able to see a Big Ten game probably at 11 and go all the way through 10 o'clock. Non-stop Big Ten football with the Big Ten now expanding Eastern, Central, and Western time zones. It's going to be non-stop Big Ten football, and it's going to be really curious to see strength of schedules when you start factoring in college football playoff bursts. The Big Ten's going to have 18 teams. Looks like the SEC will have 16 at the start of 2024 unless something happens. The ACC is still alive. They're hanging in there, but the Pac-12 is falling apart as we speak. And there has been some conjecture that the ACC and the Pac-12 might unite at some point to build a stronger conference to keep both of those conferences alive. Someone on Twitter put out a a picture of the Big Ten in a couple of years. It's everybody except Notre Dame. They're still in that independent category. That's what it feels like right now, the Big Ten gobbling up teams. But if you sat in the Big Ten offices right now, if there was a dry erase board with their 18 teams, and 
I would imagine eventually they'll get to 20. One spot they might have a whole bunch of teams listed. Maybe we take one from this batch. And then that other spot is Notre Dame all by itself. Just in case, just in case the ACC crumbles and Notre Dame needs to find a home for their Olympic sports. Now, maybe the Big 12 would take the Olympic sports of Notre Dame without football. That's a possibility. But I think we all know the Big 10 for sure and probably the SEC, you have to bring the big whale if you're going to join their conference. It is interesting times. The great thing about Notre Dame, they're still in great position to stay independent, as we talked about on yesterday's program with Eric Hansen, the editor and publisher at InsideIndieSports.com. As long as Notre Dame has access to the playoff, as long as they have a place for their Olympic sports and they have the TV slash media deal they're looking for, they can stay independent if they want to. And, of course, that's the direction they want to go. But if you're the Big Ten, absolutely, you keep that chair open just in case things change and Notre Dame wants to come aboard. Long way to go in this process. It feels like we have some more changes coming in the near future. When is the SEC going to make their next move? Florida State, they want out of the ACC. This isn't good for college sports, but... Boy, it's offering us a lot of headlines in early August before the college football season gets underway. So, again, probably sometime later tonight, maybe even during the show, Oregon and Washington will be members of the Big Ten Conference. I feel for the non-football and basketball sports. You talk about chaos trying to get to some of these locations, travel delays, oh, the headaches I can only imagine. Football and basketball, they've got the charters, and maybe other sports do too at various universities. But for the baseball teams, the softball teams, volleyball teams, they're going to have some really difficult travel. Oregon and Washington will have that issue. And, of course, teams from the Midwest and the East trying to get out west. You know there's going to be issues along the way in the wintertime. It's gotten a whole lot more challenging to be a student athlete. All right, so that's the breaking news of this afternoon. What are we going to talk about tonight? We've got our hat trick of opening topics coming up in just a moment. Our Notre Dame opponent preview today shifts to the Clemson Tigers. We'll have that conversation at the bottom of the hour. We've got our Twitter question of the day posted on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Feel free to vote right now. We'll tell you the question in just a little bit. Six o'clock hour. One of the voices of the South Bend Cubs, Brendan King, will hop on the program from Four Winds Field where the Cubs take on those Wisconsin Timber Rattlers tonight at 7.05. And, of course, you can hear the game right here on WSBT Radio with pregame at 6.45. A lot to talk about. Kate Horton has moved up to A. Trades affecting the South Bend Cubs roster. Matt Shaw, the Cubs' first-round pick a few weeks ago, is now in South Bend. And, oh, by the way, the big club is hot right now, cooled off by the Braves today, 8-0, but the Cubbies are battling for a playoff spot. And we also have our Notre Dame football week in review and our sports wagering ses- segment, Sizzler, all coming up in the 6 o'clock hour here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And away we go. Our first of three hat trick of opening topics for this evening. We start... With Notre Dame football and fall camp continuing, the Irish practicing at Mishawaka High School today. For the Fighting Irish, they've got two All-American caliber offensive tackles to build around for the 2023 offensive line. Left tackle Joe Alt, probably a first-round pick next spring. And Blake Fisher on the right side. You've got a familiar face, returning starter at center, Zeke Carell, but the guard spots are up for grabs. It sure seemed like Billy Shrout at left guard, Andrew Kristoffic at right guard. Put them in ink. They're going to be your starters. But when Joe Rudolph met the media this week, the new offensive line coach, he at least publicly wasn't ready to give those jobs away. In fact, he felt like there were some guys pushing, you know, pretty hard at this time. 
we're going to play a, a potpourri, I guess, of comments from Joe Rudolph, including Joe talking about Joe Walt, Blake Fisher, two great football players, and two guys leading this new-look offensive line. I, those guys are awesome. They're, they're, um, they're incredibly wired into what you would hope they would be wired into. And I think uh, Coach Eastan did a great job of establishing a culture within that room or, or carrying that culture forward. And um, the guys care about each other. Um, they're focused. They, they care about the guy repping at that position in the second group. They hold each other accountable. It, it's the things you want to see and the reactions you want to see, whether it's great success or whether it's something we got to get corrected and move forward. Coach, last year, Coach Freeman always, always preached about starting the line of scrimmage, everything starts there. How has it been adapting to that in your first year with Notre Dame? Oh, I love it. I, I believe that's what football is all about. It's about, um, you know, great Great teams to me have always started with the guys up front in the offensive and defensive lines and, and having a culture where those guys um, can kind of be the example and, um, and set the tone in a lot of ways. That's, that's what I'm most comfortable with, and I, I love that message from Coach Freeman. And looking at the experience of, of the guys that were on the line last year, Zeke, Blake, Joe, you know, who's feeling in, in the other roles now as we, you know, inch closer to opening day? Yeah, you mean, so like we've had a lot of guys that have played good football so far. You know, we got really good competition at the guards. Um, Andrew Kristoffic and uh, Rocco Spindler at the right side have been competing their tails off. I've been really excited about both of them. On the left side, Billy Strouth and Pat Coogan have been in a battle, done a great job. I've worked the Mill Wagner and Tosh in there a little bit to see if one of those two guys would take to that inside uh, feeling a little bit more. And, um, and Ashton Craig's done a really good job uh, uh, developing at the center spot. What's the leadership been like from guys like Blake and Joe? top-notch you know those guys um, you know in the summer they were recognized as leaders a lot of people saw Blake as that too and and I think those guys they they, they come to that natural you know leadership's easier when your care level is extremely high and their their care level couldn't be higher so I think leadership comes to that group in an easy way but you mentioned at the beginning you know making the guy next to you better to that point about Joe Blake and Zeke how much do they help make the guys next to them better with what they bring yeah, I mean, that's it. They absolutely do. Sometimes it's communication. Sometimes it's the way you execute a technique. Sometimes it's it's helping with communication on the edge because you know that it'll affect the guys inside you. Sometimes it's grabbing a guy after practice and helping them work through a technique. and Or guy gets nervous and you calm him down and you tell him, hey, I've been there before. I can help you. All those things go into that. And so, you know, having those guys on the edges and Zeke in the middle is uh, is, is powerful for us. Coach, how have you challenged the young guys, uh, especially Well, they've gotten reps right from the jump. You know, they've come out of every practice with um, as many or more reps than, than our first group. You know, uh, coach has done a good job of really going ones, twos, and threes all the way through. And, and so those guys have been putting the fire. So they've been um, they've been working the reps and understanding it, communicating, putting it on film, and then being held accountable for getting it done. So I think I think that's a really good advantage. A lot of times the third group gets uh, you know gets pushed aside and they don't get many reps early and sometimes they get lost early in the camp this group's been repping a lot all right that's joe rudolph new offensive line coach in my opinion billy shrouth would seem to be close to a lock to be the starting left guard it would be a major upset it would be buster douglas type stuff if he gets beat out now on the right side Rocco Spindler taking care of his assignments better can put himself in position to be right there with Andrew Kristofik. But I think as we sit here on August the 4th, from the outside looking in, Shrout and Kristofik are still the best candidates at this time to be the team's offensive guards when the Irish take on Navy August the 26th. And I saw on Social media today that both Notre Dame and Navy are wearing alternate uniforms. Boy, oh boy, we just get too many of these alternate uniforms, at least in my opinion. I love to see the teams in their actual stuff. Just like in baseball, those City Connect uniforms, the Wrigleyville, the ones the Cubs wear, Southside for the White Sox. I just like seeing the regular jerseys. But I'm not exactly a fashion expert, but can we slow down on the alternates and just see the good stuff? No, Darren, you're not going to get your wish. There's money to be had by 
putting more jerseys on the market. Our second topic to start the program, Bill Steele, his college football preview has been out for a couple of weeks. It is an outstanding publication to get you ready for the start of a new season. And Phil, on the two pages dedicated to the Fighting Irish, had this final analysis on Notre Dame football this year. Here are three things that Steele points out. Number one, Marcus Freeman has a stronger team in year two, and they host Ohio State and USC, making them a legitimate national championship contender. You know, I think the stronger unit is fair when you have the opportunity to bring in a high-end quarterback. Quarterback play should be significantly better compared to last year. That can cover up a lot of warts elsewhere on the football team. Running game should be great. Defensive line, safety, I think we're still waiting see mode. Linebacking core's got a lot of good talent. So there is hopes that this football team can be better than last year's squad that won nine games. We know for sure the quarterback play, unless there's an injury, is going to be really, really good this season. And is it okay to label Notre Dame as a legitimate national championship contender? I don't know if I would use legitimate, but they are in that batch of teams that have a chance. Notre Dame I hate to say this before a game is played because you can say this about everybody, but based on the teams they play, they do right off the bat control their own destiny. If you can take care of Ohio State and USC, you go to Clemson with a chance to really put away a college football playoff berth. All you have to do is just take care of some weaker teams after that game. So, sure, are they a contender? Yes, there's probably... 15 to 20 teams that are in good shape to be a college football playoff team. Let's play the games and find out. But, yeah, they're in that group of teams to make the playoff. And then once you get there, who knows? Phil Steele also said that Notre Dame has a top 10 defense. That's the one where my eyes popped out of my head. I was a little surprised by that statement. Are they capable? Sure. You've got two great corners that you believe you can put out there in man on an island, and they'll take care of business, allowing you to bring an extra blitzer when you want to go after the quarterback. But a top-10 defense, wow. Knowing you're going to play two great offenses, Ohio State and USC, that's going to hurt the numbers a little bit. But if you can guarantee me really good defensive line play close to last year, and then you add in the linebackers and the corners, okay, I can buy it, but I don't think I would make that statement at this point. And finally, Phil Steele in his new college football preview magazine says that Notre Dame's offense has Sam Hartman at quarterback with a dangerous run game. They are improved on offense. I think that's a safe assumption, even with your top pass catcher, Michael Mayer, now playing for the Las Vegas Raiders. Running game should be just fine. Passing game's going to be a whole lot better. And I think we would all agree the wide receiving core's got to be better than last year. All these guys got another year under their belt. Tobias Merriweather continues to grow. Chris Tyree, a reliable pass catcher as a running back, now a full-time receiver. That position should be better this year so yeah i'm good with that as well and our third and final hat trick of opening topics for tonight the old boss lsu head coach brian kelly has implemented a transparent injury report policy that he calls a proactive response to legalize sports betting now if you follow football the national football league you have an injury report that is put out each week and updated before every game. And if a team withholds information, they get fined by the National Football League. We have not had that in college football. College football coaches across the country are paranoid. they got to keep everything secret. Such an advantage. But Kelly has decided he's going to release an injury report each week. And after you hear his comments, 
it actually does make some sense in protecting not only his players, but the LSU football program. I wanted to be proactive and not reactive. Uh, I'm not saying that that happened. I'm not saying that it would happen, but I think it's better to be proactive in those situations and take away even the temptation to even have that in this building and, and not be that next school um, that, that goes down that, that, that path, right? You know, we talked about, you know, clearly uh, nobody should have, um, you know, a gaming app on their phone. There are geolocators uh, on your phone for every one of those apps. And so getting those apps off your phone and making sure that there's no geolocators because they know where you are. And there should not be any of those on, on any of our players' phones or anybody that's in this building. So I think it's just much more about being proactive than reactive uh, than anything else. I can't tell you how many times that we didn't know a particular quarterback was playing and the other guy. you got to adjust on the fly. So I think it's much ado about nothing. And I think we angst over the, the littlest things that don't really affect the game. And we make too much of it. Um, I don't want it to be a situation where it causes something um, to, to, to the point where somebody loses their job or uh, somebody loses eligibility. To me, that's a bigger issue than... Well, we got a tactical advantage today because we found out he was playing. I mean, it's, I'm not going to say it's silly, um, but let's have a protocol. Here's the procedure. Here's what I'm going to follow. Here's what we're going to do. Um, and it probably took me too long to come to this realization as well. Yeah, BK was pretty stingy with his information while at the University of Notre Dame, but now on the forefront in college football, wanting to put out an injury report based on gambling being legalized across the country and he just doesn't want his players getting involved in something that is going to get them suspended cause harm to the university and that football program so it does make a lot of sense you heard him say he wants all the guys to get the gambling apps off their phone and you know what this whole thing does make a lot of sense it would be nice to have an injury report in college football I don't believe many coaches are going to do it because I don't think many coaches are confident enough that they can give the information and they're going to feel like that they are costing themselves a chance to win the football game by handing out that info I'm glad BK's come around a little bit but I don't think this is going to become a fad Kind of hope it does. It's good to know that information as a fan, but I'm definitely not holding my breath. All right, 529 is our time. That's our hat trick of opening topics for tonight. After a timeout, what should we expect from the Clemson Tigers when the Fighting Irish head down to Death Valley? An opponent preview coming up next on WSBT. Continues now. Ball caught. Touchdown. What a catch on the three-yard line by Jaden Thomas. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Caught on the one-yard line and into the end zone. Tobias Merriweather. First catch of his Notre Dame career. Goes for a touchdown from 41 yards out. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Setting up Estime over the middle, 25-20. He'll score. 10-5. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Speed on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Darren Pritchett with you. Our Notre Dame opponent preview moves to the Clemson Tigers, a road game for the Fighting Irish in early November. Clemson went 11-3 last year. Their victories, they beat Georgia Tech 41-10. A win over Furman, 35-12. They hammered Louisiana Tech, 48-20. A wild game at Wake Forest. Sam Hartman and the Demon Deacons, I thought they had them, but Clemson escaped with a 51-45 win. Tigers over NC State, 30-20. They beat BC on the road, 31-3. A nice win at Florida State, 34-28. Clemson at home beat Syracuse, 27-21. 
right before going on the road to take on the Irish. Clemson also had wins over Louisville 31-16, Miami 40-10, and a win over North Carolina in the ACC Championship 39-10. The losses for Clemson last year at Notre Dame Stadium, Clemson was favored by four. Notre Dame won 35-14, a 31-30 loss to South Carolina, and Clemson lost their bowl game to Tennessee 31-14. Head coach Dabo Sweeney back as head coach of Clemson. He has led the Tigers to eight ACC titles, six college football playoff appearances, and national titles in 2016 and 2018. On the offensive side of the football, Clemson will return seven starters. Last year, they averaged 33.2 points per game, 410 yards of total offense, rushing yards 178 per game, passing yardage 232. A change in offensive coordinator, Garrett Riley, the brother of Lincoln Riley, comes from TCU to take over the Tiger offense. And he gets to work with a terrific sophomore quarterback, Cade Klubnick, who took over as the team's starting quarterback late in the season, ended up 61 of 100, throwing the football for 697 yards, two touchdowns, three picks, ran the football 42 times for 139 yards, and two touchdowns. This guy is elusive, very athletic, strong arm, but still growing right now as a college quarterback. Wide receiver position for Clemson has been down when they were winning national championships. T. Higgins and the boys, they put up some big-time numbers, but it's been a hole for Clemson for a couple of years. They're banking on sophomore Antonio Williams to return this position to an elite level. Williams, the top returning pass catcher, 56 catches last year for 604 yards and four touchdowns. Bo Collins, he is going to be back as well. He started six games last year, 22 catches for 373 and five scores. And they've got a, a pretty good tight end in Jake Bringingstoll, 25 receptions, 285 yards and four touchdowns. But when you want to talk about Clemson, you want to talk about their running game, and they have one of the best one-two punches in the country, led by a former Notre Dame recruit, Will Shipley. Last year, they were going to get him the ball more, and they did. 210 carries, 1,202 yards, and 15 touchdowns. He also caught the ball 38 times for 242. He is a handful. And his running mate is Phil Moffa. 98 carries for 515 and four touchdowns. The offensive line of Clemson loses their first team all ACC left tackle in Jordan McFadden. The other four starters are back. The group has started 99 career games, and this group is led by third team all ACC center and three year starter Will Putnam. Now let's go to the defensive side of the football where Clemson returns. Eight starters, a group that gave up 20.9 points per game last year. Total yardage, 334 yards, 103 rushing yards, 232 passing yards. The Tigers took some major losses from their defensive line last year. First team, all ACC defensive end, Miles Murphy, his six and a half sacks, gone. Defensive tackle, Brian Breeze, three and a half sacks, gone. Defensive end K.J. Henry, 59 tackles, three and a half sacks. He has departed as well. Now they have a dominant sophomore linebacker in Jeremiah Trotter. He had a fantastic freshman year for Clemson, 92 tackles, six and a half sacks, six pass breakups, and two interceptions. Strong side linebacker Barrett Carter, a rising star for Clemson. Last year, 77 tackles, five and a half sacks for this Clemson squad. Now the Tigers return four starters in the secondary at corner. They've got junior Nate Wiggins who had 12 pass breakups last year with one pick and on the other side of the field senior Sheridan Jones 11 starts 52 tackles. Now the Tigers really like their safeties and free safety Jalen Phillips. He's a senior who last year was second on the team in tackles with 82 and also chipped in Four pass breakups. For this Clemson football team taking on the Fighting Irish in Death Valley, some betting notes. The home team has won each of the last three meetings between the Irish and the Tigers. 
the home team has covered in the last two meetings. 2020, Clemson a five-point favorite at Notre Dame Stadium. The Irish won that wild overtime game 47-40. And then in 2022, last fall, Clemson back in South Bend favored by four. And Notre Dame hammered Coach Sweeney's team 35-14. Now, Clemson as a home favorite the last 10 years against the spread, really not that great, 33-30-2 and and just 5-8 and the last two seasons. Clemson's home record, though, straight up the last 10 years, 65-3. and They went 6-1 and last season, losing to South Carolina. Notre Dame as a road underdog the last 10 years, just 8-6, and but the Irish were 3-1 and as a road dog last year. It'll be a dandy. It'll be under the lights in Death Valley. Fingers crossed, no hurricanes. It's Notre Dame and Clemson one more time. That's our opponent preview, the Clemson Tigers out of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Sportspeak continues next on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here is a swing and a drive toward left field and deep. Oh, boy. It is gone off the reservation. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far out of have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'd just like to thank you for that waitress in South Bend. You know who she is. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. You can't put it yeah. It is 6.01 at WSBT South Bend, hour number two of the program. We're done at 6.45 because the South Bend Cubs will host the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers tonight here on WSBT Radio. And one of the broadcasters you will hear joins me right now, Brendan King, live from the South Bend Cubs booth right behind home plate at Four Winds Field. He joins us on WSBT Radio. BK, how are you? Darren Pritchett, it is great to be with you, my friend. Thanks for the time, as always. Always love jumping on with you. Absolutely. Good to be with you as well. Well, the South Bend Cubs lost a, a pretty good player to double-A recently, Cade Horton. Mm-hmm. This is a good thing because this guy, there's a pretty good chance, I would have to imagine, after watching him pitch, this is a guy that could be in the Chicago Cubs rotation as early as next year. It's unbelievable, Darren. I remember telling you early on in his South Bend Cubs tenure that to me I don't think the Cubs have had a bigger pitching prospect since one of Mark Pryor or Kerry Wood. It has just been exceptional to watch him pitch Darren and even more so the fact from his last start as a South Bend Cub and funny enough it happened in Peoria because last year it was the swan song for Jordan Wicks and DJ Hers in Peoria that was their last start well Kate Horton goes out last Friday, spins together four shutout, hitless, walkless innings with five Ks. His only blemish was hitting a guy, or else he would have been perfect. He only needed 50 pitches to do that too, Darren. So uh, to say the future is bright is an understatement. I know he pitched very well in his double-A debut as well. So, uh, man, that's a wipeout slider, and I really think his changeup is not being talked about enough. Mm-hmm. And still, you mentioned that this guy can throw 98, 99 miles an hour mm. as a starter. Boy, I can't wait to see that arm at Wrigley Field. It's going to be fun. Major League Baseball trade deadline was August the 1st, and, Brendan, the trade deadline affected the South Bend Cubs roster a little bit. Yeah, it did. A guy that I just mentioned, DJ Hers, involved in the deal. That brought Jamer Candelario back to the Cubs, and Kevin Made went as well. Of course, Made, the championship shortstop, Darren. And uh, I really liked Made, but to me, Kevin was just stuck in a loop of a ton of shortstops, especially now, Darren, that two guys that the South Bend Cubs have, Matt Shaw, the first-rounder this year by the Cubs out of Maryland, and then Josh Rivera, the third-rounder out of Florida. I mean, the Cubs are just loaded at shortstop, DP. The fact that Dansby Swanson's playing there, Nico Horner can play shortstop. Don't forget about Chase Strumpf, who's now at AAA. Andy Weber's playing shortstop at AA. The South Bend Cubs also have Ed Howard. Mm. They have James Trianto. So, yeah, I mean, Kevin Mate was just in a loop of a ton of shortstops, and he's still a young guy at 20, and the Nationals obviously see that value. But DJ Hurst, a tough loss as well for the Cubs. Great crafty lefty with some really good stuff, but 
you get a great player, Darren and Jamer Candelario, who went eight for nine in his first two games back with the Cubs. And uh, I think that's exactly the piece that Chicago needs, a guy that can play both corners uh, and is going to hit the ball well for you. I thought it was an even trade. Yeah, BK, I was just going to mention, Candelario was a really smart move by the Cubs. I mean, they should never have to worry about, about financials, but this is a move that... Yeah, it costs them some collateral from the system, but this just seems to be a perfect fit, exactly what the Cubs needed. No disrespect to Madrigal and Mastroboni, but they needed to upgrade third base. Yeah, and I'm with you. And if they like Christopher Morell in center or they want to DH Chris more so, uh, the move makes perfect sense. And I remember we tossed this around, Darren, and we brought up guys like Candelario and as well as Matt Chapman. I think Candelario gives you just a little bit more oomph than a Chapman would. I think Chapman's a great defensive third baseman. He can hit for power, but on any given day, you can switch him between the corners, and plus he's a switch hitter. I think that's only going to benefit you down the stretch. South Bend Cubs broadcaster Brendan King joining me on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Let's talk about one of your new arrivals, first-round pick of the Cubs just a couple of weeks ago out of Maryland. Matt Shaw off to a fast start, 17 at-bats, a 3.53 average, 4.50 on base. He's got a homer. He's got two stolen bases. Your early impressions of Shaw? Yeah, back on Tuesday, Darren. First swing as a South Bend Cub, a triple to the right center field wall. And you know, calling games here for as long as you did, it's not easy to get it to the right center field power alley as a right-handed batter. But man, he pushed it all the way to the cage doors and it was really impressive. Stretched it to a triple. His speed, interestingly, reminded me a lot of Pete Crow Armstrong. It was the type of gapper that PCA would hustle into a triple last year and he just barreled in the third slid head first. Uh, but Darren, I, I think a name that comes to mind and this comparison is not just by recency bias, he really does look like Nico Horner. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, body type, swing, it's a composed, powerful cut, but also a nice contact guy. I mean, I'm sure you read the story at Maryland. He hit a home run over 510 feet. <laughs> and, you know, he is listed, let's see, at 5'11", 185 pounds. So he's not some 6'5", Ellie De La Cruz uh, guy out here that's just crushing baseballs. I mean, he's a, a more compacted player with a ton of power. And I've liked what I've seen so far. Defensively, too, pretty sounded short. What positions can he play, in your opinion? That's a good question because I've only seen him live at short. Okay. But he has looked comfortable enough there. And, DP, you know how it goes. If you can look comfortable at short, yep. the odds are you could probably go play second. And, you know, I don't know if he's a big enough guy to play third, which is where I actually think Josh Rivera, the new South Bend Cub out of Florida, third-round pick, his body type to me screams a little bit more third. He's playing shortstop tonight though. Um, but I, I think the Cubs have two very complimentary left side infielders now in Sean Rivera that they're gonna see what they have. They're gonna get, you know, pending that they're here in South Bend for the rest of the year, they're gonna get a full month at high A and you would love to see that. Brennan, are we gonna start to see any other players from this most recent draft class arrive in South Bend? Are there maybe some pitchers that we might see along the way? Also a good question, and I'm not sure. I know that Myrtle Beach got a number of guys too, but I would also look at last year, Darren, mm -hmm. and how the Cubs operated their first-year pitchers. You know, guys like Brandon Birdsell and Connor Nolan did not pitch at all. They just reported to the complex, had workouts and meetings and whatnot. And then, you know, Birdsell made his pro debut on Easter Sunday uh, back in April this year. Connor Nolan was our home opener starter. Um, and those two guys really have dominated through. You know, Connor Nolan is top five in all the Cubs organization in multiple pitching categories, including innings pitched and strikeouts and many others. Uh, you know, Brandon Birdsell, I, I was just writing this down, Darren, for the on-field pregame show that we're going to do a little bit later on here. Birdsell last night, five scoreless innings, two hits, no walks, five Ks. That now means in his last 30 innings, Birdsell, who was the Big 12 pitcher of the year last year out of Texas Tech, 30 innings, his last 30 innings, a .90 ERA, 19 hits, eight walks, 28 Ks. Uh, that's a great arm, Darren. Fifth round pick out of Texas Tech last year. Uh, he's been great. But to answer your question, if a guy like Birdsell did not sniff any pro time last year, I'd be pretty surprised if anybody else did. BK, the South Bend got off to a slow start in the second half, but now you look up, even though they're in 
fifth place in the standings. Really, they're in fourth place in the second half because the leader of the division, Cedar Rapids, won the first half, so crossed them off. So Peoria is out in front, a game ahead of Wisconsin, two in front of Beloit, and now South Bend is all of a sudden only three out of first place. Plus, I noticed the run differential is plus 15. So has this team turned the corner? I think so, and it was only recently, Darren, that that run differential got back positive. It was the series at Peoria, which I alluded to earlier, where Kate Horton had his last start. Cubs starting pitching all week was awesome. Luis Devers got his first win of the year a couple Tuesdays ago with five strong innings. Brody McCullough went four plus. Uh, Bird Sell had another five inning start. We talked about what Horton did. Michael Arias looks solid. He starts tonight. And then Connor Nolan finished the week. Six strong innings, only gave up a few runs. So I think it starts with the starting pitching, Darren, giving the Cubs a chance. And then success came in Peoria. They won that series four games to two. And listen, you know, if you are winning series here down the stretch in the Midwest League in these six gamers, the odds are is that you're going to make up some pretty good ground. And heading into this series against Wisconsin, as you said, the Cubs were three games back. And look, a series win this week against the Rattlers means the Cubs would at least pass Wisconsin. And if you could do that, you talk yourself back near third place, and you might be two or three games out of a playoff spot as you go on the road next week to Lake County. So these are the games you're going to need. Winning two of the first three this week has been awesome. And again, at least a series win here against Wisconsin, you guarantee that you're at least going to get a shot. There's nothing like beating the Tugger Utters, is there? <laughs> I have not seen any Utter Tuggers or what a- memorabilia <laughs> here yet, but uh, we'll have to ask Chris Meering if he's got any handy. They, s- they sent some to the Dan Patrick Show recently, awesome. so it's a big deal. Hey, That's really awesome. quick, we got about two minutes here. I remember on opening day you thought the Chicago Cubs could be a wild card team. A month ago, yeah, but now all of a sudden, boy, you have to feel really good about not only the wild card, but the division's right there for the taking. It is just such a teeter-totter division, Darren. I mean, you know it watching NL Central Baseball, too. Uh, it's still anybody's game. I, I mean, we remember we saw in 2018 the Cubs led the division uh, by a few games, and then the Milwaukee Brewers storm pack and took the, took the division. That was on September 1st, right? So uh, anything can happen in big league ball. Now that the deadline just passed, um, you know, we know the sellers, we know the buyers now, we know the state of the rosters. But, yeah, I, I always had a feeling that this team could be a wild card team. I, I don't know about a division. Uh, to me, the Reds still need to learn fully, Darren, how to win. They have so many young pieces that just need that lesson of just how tough it is to go deep. And I don't know if David Bell is the guy to teach them that lesson. We're going to find that out as we go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if Dansby Swanson continues to hit the way he has, Nico Horner, I mean, Cody Bellinger's just been outstanding. Oh. And, you know, if Candelario is going to keep on having four hit games, uh, that's just going <laughs> to bolster the middle of the lineup, too. So I think uh, Cubs Nation out in Wrigleyville should be feeling pretty solid. BK, have a great time at the ballpark. Have a great call tonight. We'll be listening here on WSBT Radio in about a half an hour. Darren, appreciate the time as always, my man. Take Thank care. Thank you, sir. That's Brendan King, one of the voices of the South Bend Cubs. You will hear Brendan coming up in about 32 minutes. Pre-game coverage of South Bend Cubs baseball on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We're going to take a timeout. Coming up next, it is our Week in Review for Notre Dame Football here on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Wake up. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel one by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chased by Gamble. 20, 10. What a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Great to be with you on this Friday. Sportsbeat continues on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com on our free WSBT radio app. It's a Friday, so it's time for our Notre Dame football week in review. A lot of things behind the scenes happening in college sports with, again, possible realignment on the horizon. Is the Big Ten going after Oregon and Washington? Florida State publicly says they'd like to get out of the ACC unless there is a different way of handing out all the revenue in the league. They want more of the pie since they feel like they're more important than some of the schools 
in the ACC. And, of course, Notre Dame is the big fish in the ocean. All conferences would like to have Notre Dame, but the Irish, of course, remain an independent. I spent some time this week with the editor of InsideIndieSports.com, Eric Hansen, and we talked about Notre Dame's current state in college football amidst all of the realignment. From a Notre Dame standpoint, yes, with all of the things happening or possibly happening with realignment in college football, does Notre Dame's, I don't want to say fate, because they want to be an independent at the end of the day and they're still in good position to be an independent, but does the ACC staying together the ultimate piece that needs to happen for Notre Dame to comfortably remain an independent? Okay, here's Notre Dame Independence 101. There are always three pillars that we look at. And if any one of them gets threatened, if two of them gets threatened, it's really... But if any one of them gets threatened, you have to wonder about the longevity of independence. Notre Dame would like to stay a football independent for eternity right now. That's kind of their thought. They've had those... Uh, heart-to-heart discussions with themselves over the past few decades, and they keep coming back to this spot. So what would push them? What would force them? Three things. One is if they don't have access to the national championship, Mm -hmm. if they got left out of the playoff formula. So far, athletic director Jack Swarbrick has been able to work the Irish into every postseason plan that's come up, and they've had a fair shot playing for a championship. Number two is the NBC contract or a comparable media contract. That's coming up for renewal after the uh, 25 season, Mm -hmm. but that's being negotiated right now. The third thing is a place to house their, most of their Olympic sports teams and their two basketball teams, the men's and women's teams. As we saw when the Big East imploded, that was a touchy time and Notre Dame was able to find an agreement with the ACC that allowed them to play five football games a year on average against ACC competition. And that's worked well for both sides. Right, in return for everybody except for the Pittsburgh coach, uh, (laughs) football coach who complains about it. But everybody else seems to be pretty much on board and kind of gets it. Uh, But but, um, Pat Narduzzi, but the – so when we start to talk about Florida State maybe leaving the ACC, and ha- is it bluster? Is it real? Probably a little bit of both. But um, you know, Clemson and Florida State want a bigger share of the ACC pie because they feel like they bring more to it. Um, but you know, are they going to go somewhere else? The ACC has felt pretty good up to this point because they have a grant and rights deal that all of them signed, including Notre Dame, that carries well into the next decade. I think it's 2036, 2035 um, in that neighborhood. Nobody has challenged that in court yet. They're all kind of waiting to see if somebody else does. It would be pretty costly to exit, and it would be pretty costly if they lost the court case because the ACC would get their media rights whether they were in the conference or not. So... It, it, it kind of locks teams in, and yet if one of them finds a, a loophole to get out, then they'll all kind of run through that hole in the fence, I think. So that's something to really keep an eye on with this realignment stuff because, um, you know, the Pac-12 right now is the one that looks like it's going to get picked apart. But that means the ACC's kind of thinking, what do we do? We can't. You know, we can't expand unless, I guess, they were to take a Pac-12 leftover, which doesn't seem to make sense. Mm -mm. Um, And the Big Ten and the SEC, Big Ten more more openly is eyeing other schools. But I think beyond just Oregon and Washington, we've talked about the Big 12. You mentioned Arizona. Arizona State and Utah would likely be part of that package as well. Uh, so, So that would be a growing conference. What does that do to the ACC? who's locked into an inferior media rights deal into the middle mm-hmm. 2030s. And so can they compete? That's what Florida State and Clemson are worried about. 
I mean, I think they'd be happy to be in the ACC if they had a comparable media deal to the Big Ten and the SEC. They don't. Their pies are smaller. And and it, and those Big Ten and SEC pies are going to get bigger. And so how can that affect a program? Well, it could affect how many facilities you can. If you get into a bidding war for an offensive coordinator, you're not going to be able to compete. Um, that money thing is going to catch up to you at some point. I'm looking at this from the Big Ten perspective. Next year, they'll be at 16 teams when USC and UCLA officially join the conference. Yep. The expectation is at some point there would be a maximum of 20 teams in the Big Ten. I don't think they would go further than that. I'm actually kind of surprised they're looking to add more because it's not like they're going to get more money in a media deal by adding more teams. You know what I'm saying? But that, that's the, the that's, stance right now. Right. Correct. So here's my thinking. Until the ACC does not crumble, the Big Ten is always going to leave one spot for Notre Dame. You can't fill up your league until you really officially 100% know that Notre Dame is safely as an independent and they have a place for their Olympic sports. I just don't see the SEC as a landing spot, Eric. That just doesn't seem to be a fit. Do you agree? It doesn't, but I wouldn't write it off. Really? I, w- I wouldn't. Well, okay. I mean, especially well, they may not have a choice if the Big uh, yeah, Ten fills up. They may not up. have a choice, and the ACC may have enough teams in the new SEC where they're okay. We like that footprint. You know, we'll we can we can make that work. Um, but I think it's the less likely option. Uh, Agreed. Right, but. The other, when we go back to those three pillars, the other thing that's in play is Notre Dame's media rights deal. Jack Swarbrick seems confident that they're going to be able to get, and Jack Swarbrick is going to be gone sometime in 2024, and this is going to be Pete Babakwa's um, challenge, um, and maybe they'll be able to work it out before you both work on it now. Pete's on board as a special assistant. So they're both kind of working together on things, and Pete has that television background, media background. But what if the numbers aren't comparable? Then does that push Notre Dame into the Big Ten? So there's two of those three pillars that are, um, I don't want to say crumbling, but they need reinforcements. Eric, to me, the administrations of the Big Ten schools are going to protect their great academic portfolio. They are not just going to bring in any school. To me, if you're talking about the Big Ten eventually <coughs> eventually me. bringing in a couple of ACC teams, I don't think Clemson <laughs> is one of those teams. Florida State, maybe you can make an argument, but to me, the perfect fits out of the ACC when you try to balance academics and athletics is Virginia, North Carolina. That's my opinion. So if you're going to pick two, I don't think Clemson's one of those two, despite how good their football program is. It's not going to add a lot. Plus, it just seems like they're going to be a fit in the SEC with South Carolina and everybody else. So to me, if the Big Ten's going to pick somebody of the ACC, I lean toward Virginia, North Carolina. They're always going to leave a spot for Notre Dame. There is no way in the world they fill their conference up until it is certain Notre Dame is going to remain independent in football. And I just don't think the Big Ten is going to take just Olympic sports. I think that's something that might be not negotiable from a Big Ten standpoint. Well, certainly that was their posture in the Jim Delaney era. era. That wasn't happening with them. You you come all over. The Big 12 may be willing to take Notre Dame, uh, but is the Big 12 – is it eventually going to be just the SEC and the Big Ten? Are there going to be 32 teams in those? <laughs> well, Good yeah, grief. but it, it could be. I mean, it, it could hmm. be just we, – we go that. Who would have ever thought USC and UCLA would have been in the Big Ten? And there are some things that have to be worked out, too, if you're going to take Washington and Oregon because of the travel and things of that nature. I mean, there's – there's bigger costs. You have a lot more money, but you're going a lot of time zones away, especially if you're Rutgers or Maryland. Get more from Eric at InsideIndieSports.com. 
My colleague from Blue and Gold Illustrated, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold, is Tyler Horka. You can read his work at blueandgold.com. The Fighting Irish are now nine practices into fall camp. Tyler gave his assessment on the first week plus of Notre Dame football fall camp. So since we are now a full week into training camp, in your opinion, Tyler, what do you think has been the biggest development? There's definitely a few things, but I look toward the offensive line. And just when we thought that everyone was set in stone, the five guys that were starting across the board in the spring were the five guys that came in last week, a week ago today, and started that practice, five across the board. Now you've got Rocco Spindler, the guy that everyone has seemingly wanted to talk about in the last year and a half, really, once his freshman year was over going into his sophomore year, getting some starting reps. And it's really the first time in his Notre Dame career that he's done so. And again, this is just one week of practice. And some of these starting reps are individual drills where he's just lining up right next to Blake Fisher as the right guard. And they're going through some combo blocking deals. And it's not even a full five across the board, lining up across from defensive lineman type situation, but it's still new for Spindler. And uh, who knows, maybe he is the one that's going to start on August 26th. I think that's probably the biggest development. It's definitely a storyline that our message board subscribers want to talk about every second of every day. Uh, It all starts up front. Marcus Freeman says so himself. So uh, it's definitely the biggest development of the first week. And I think it will carry in to the second and third week of camp as, as well. After watching a week's worth of practice, Tyler, do you think there is one player, maybe if you want to mention a couple, who have improved their stock the most with the coaching staff? Yeah, it's definitely Spindler, but I just spent enough time talking about him. He's, he's definitely in that conversation. And then I think what Jadarian Price has done, sticking with the offense again, just in the first week where they kind of threw him out there and they must have seen or heard enough good things about him through summer workouts to kind of throw him out there. We talked about him last week as the number two running back in a group of five scholarship running backs that is very deep. I mean, I know it's led by Audrick Estime and he's going to be the number one, but really you got four guys kind of vying for that number two spot. And the Notre Dame coaching staff has elected to go with a guy coming off an Achilles injury as kind of that number two front runner right now. So I think it's been very impressive. And he's held up by all accounts. Uh, what we've heard at blueandgold.com, what we've seen in the practices that we've been able to be out there for, you would never know that this guy tore his Achilles uh, really just over a year ago. I think it was at the end of June. So we're talking 13 months. And you've seen some of your favorite professional athletes when they tear their Achilles. Obviously, they're not a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid like Jadarian Price. But, I mean, it takes a long time to come back from that, and sometimes you never do come back from that. It looks like Jadarian Price is as good as he was before the injury. I mean, his upper body looks stout. He's moving his legs really well. Footwork looks good. So I think Jadarian Price has done a lot to maybe go into that Navy game on August 26th as that kind of number two running back to complement Audrick Estime. I guess, Tyler, from the outside looking in, we went into fall camp. There were a handful of position battles. I think we still wanted to see if the safeties, if it was going to be Watson Brown or if anybody was going to beat him out. The nickel was up for grabs, some defensive line positions. We just talked about the offensive guards and the number two running back. Do you think anybody in those conversations has won a job at this point, or is it too early to predict a winner in any of the spots that were up for grabs going into fall camp? Yeah, I'll stick with the defense here and go through a couple of those that you mentioned. Uh, You started with the safeties. I think it's pretty much set in stone that D.J. Brown, a guy who's played 47 games for this program, has started 11 games, 10 of those coming last year. So obviously, you know, these last couple of years, he's been playing his best football at Notre Dame. I think he's going to start at free safety. And then I think Xavier Watts, the other guy that you mentioned, is by far Notre Dame's best safety in general and I know you have to differentiate between free safeties and strong safeties which Watts is is the latter but man he looks really good looks athletic you could tell that he's a guy that Notre Dame at this time last year was kind of trusting to play both sides of the ball Uh, intelligent kid really athletic kid runs the field really well and I think he's finally fully comfortable 100% comfortable playing that safety spot 
So I think those two guys have one job. It would, it would be shocking if I saw anybody else start at safety. Uh, at nickel, I think it's still kind of up in the air. Clarence Lewis is a guy who kind of like Brown has been trusted to play in a lot of different uh, situations over his career. I mean, if you go back all the way to 2020, he was starting six games as a corner. Uh, now he's kind of switched more to that nickel corner position. He's really battling it out with Thomas Harper there. And I, I think those guys are neck and neck. That's 50-50. That's one that's going to linger probably not just into the last week of camp, but that, that first week of the season. I think that position will be finalized then. And then on the defensive line, I'm, I'm becoming more and more confident uh, who those starters are going to be. I think Riley Mills is locked in as a starter. Jordan Batello is definitely the Viper. I mean, he's ahead of the on the depth chart of two young guys who have barely played any football at this level in junior Tui Halamaka and Josh Burnham. So I think Batello is definitely the Viper. Uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste, I'm leaning toward him to start over Nana Ostafo Mensa as uh, the strong side defensive end just because on, on first and second downs, you're normally, uh, you know, th- those are kind of wide open downs and Jean-Baptiste is more of a pass rusher, but he can also get it done uh, stopping the run. Nano Safamento is pretty much just a run stopper. So you'll probably see Baptiste go out there first uh, on, on August 26th against Navy. So, yeah, a lot of those defensive spots, those were really where all the position battles were, except for the offensive line when we started the conversation with. Uh, a lot of position battles going into fall camp on that defensive side, aside, and a lot of clarity in the first week for sure. A couple of battles still to be decided. Uh, particularly at, at slot corner, but uh, a lot of clarity, clarity coming into view as well. And the Fighting Irish this week picked up a commitment for the class of 2025 with all the details, Blue and Gold Illustrated's Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Mike Singer. 2025 running back in Justin Thurman, who has fallen in love with the Fighting Irish. Yeah, announced his commitment uh, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, just coming off of a visit to Notre Dame, second of the summer. Darren, I, I want to say we've talked about him a few times on your show, and, and, I, I've, and if I haven't, I've said this in articles of Blue and Gold. This is, in my four years covering Notre Dame, this is the most Notre Dame kid ever. Like, it, it, just super, super polite, very, very bright, great family, just checks all of those boxes. And then on the football field, you know, I was told he ran a 4-4 at Notre Dame. He's been clocked in the 4-5s, uh, sub-11 seconds in the 100-meter dash um, in the spring. Just a real, real stock-up prospect. What's interesting, Darren, so he's from the St. Louis, transfers. He, and he went to DeSmet as a freshman, which is where Christian Gray went to school. Also knows, like, Jeremiah Love really well. He's even trained before in the same group with Kyron Williams. Another St. Louis guy, of course. Um, he transfers to Tampa Jesuit, family relocates. And as a sophomore, didn't like get a ton of carries, right? He's a new kid on the block. They have a senior three-star guy who um, play, is now at a group of five team. Um, so Thurman's just kind of used as a specialist, a little bit on defense. Um, and uh, for folks watching on YouTube, we're about to watch his, uh, his spring game highlights where, you know, he's the lead back now for, for sure. I think that this is going to be a kid, you know, he's like a fringe four-star, you know, some sites have him as four, some three. I think this is going to be a kid who just explodes this fall. Notre Dame got, I mean, he had some big time offers. Tennessee and Florida were hot on him. Iowa, he liked. Um, Kansas at Alabama, Crimson Tide are, are closely evaluating. But this is a kid who I think in the fall, um, is just going to explode on the field, could get a bunch more offers. Like Notre Dame got a really good one, and Justin Thurman on the field, off the field, he's fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I think just think this is a really good pickup for Notre Dame. And the running back recruiting, and I mean, you go back to that 2019 class with Karen Williams, just back to back to back to back to back to back, whatever it is, really good running back recruiting for for Notre Dame you know you'd think oh it's O-line you think there'd be running back you as well it's you know it's Notre Dame's again upward trajectory with running back recruiting for a radio audience what is this size Mike he is listed at six foot 180 and again that is 
sophomore, he's going into his junior season. So um, Tim Hyde, a blue and gold, our analyst, can, said he's kind of like a mix uh, in playing style of Theo Riddick and Chris Tyree. But again, I just think that this kid is going to develop from, you know, like, oh, is he just like a scat back? I think he's going to become this three down back. He's going to bulk up and still keep that speed. I just think this kid's a freak show. Uh, Notre Dame's very excited about this commitment. We saw, and you mentioned his speed, but I also like he ran very well between the tackles. And also, he has a trait to go along with other Notre Dame running backs. He catches the football extremely well coming out of the backfield. Yeah, I mean, in today's game, running backs have to be able to do all three things. you got to be able to run well. You know, outside and between tackles, you got to be able to catch the ball in the backfield. This kid plays some slot. you got to be able to block. This kid's good in the return game. Just all around, really good pickup for the Irish. And we will have you covered next week, the second full week of Notre Dame football fall camp right here on Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 